Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. I want to bring a short message this morning um, that I hope will be very relevant to where uh, all of us are, or at least sometime in the future are going to be. Uh, basically, I have two propositions I want to put on the table that then I will try to unwrap in the verses that we're going to walk through very quickly. As Great Commission people, we recognize that we are going to go to people who do not want us to come. We need to go, but they don't want us to come. We also recognize that we will take a gospel that people will not want to hear. And yet it is a gospel they desperately need to hear. And then laying that in a context in which we will function, it's been well said that returning evil for good is satanic. Returning good for good is simply human. But returning good for evil, that is divine. We find that driven home in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, verse 43 through verse 48. If you would, join me there in God's Word. I want to just take a few minutes and talk to you about love your enemies because it is the way of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, you come to the sixth and final antitheses that you find in Matthew chapter 5. They began back in verse 21 and conclude in verse 48. They're intended to help us understand the kind of righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees and the kind of righteousness that is essential for those who will enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, It's a righteousness that flows from what I call Beatitude Christians. Uh, That is men and women that are described and characterized as being poor in spirit, being meek, being merciful, being pure in their heart. It is citizens who, as we see in verse 48, are on their way to becoming perfect just as their heavenly Father is perfect. And we recognize that all of this is a work of divine grace. None of us are capable of living out the ethics of the kingdom apart from God's divine enablement. And that's never more true than when it comes to the biblical command to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. After all, the attitude of the world is very, very different, perhaps expressed quite well by H.W. Alden in a poem that simply says, I and the public know what all school children learn. Those to whom evil is done do evil in return. I've been concerned in recent years that unfortunately, even within the church, Even within the community of faith, I sometimes hear people talk and speak of those that oppose us, uh, those that are different from us, those that we would even consider to be our enemies, that we talk about them in ways that are very consistent with the world, but absolutely foreign to the ethics of Jesus. 
Grant Osborne, a wonderful New Testament scholar, puts these verses in wonderful context when he says, love for neighbor was the epitome of Old Testament ethics. The model for this difficult activity is nothing less than God himself, our Father. If God can be merciful to wicked as well as good people, so must we. And so what I wanna do is walk through the verses very quickly, make four overarching observations, and then end by making some very specific applications, taking advantage of a very excellent book that has recently come out uh, called Revitalized by our friend Andy Davis, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina. As we think about what it means to love and pray for our enemies, we need to recognize very honestly, this is one of the most difficult commands that you find in the Bible. And that indeed, it is a divine enablement that will allow us to get there. I think Martin Luther King Jr. was on to something when he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. So four quick observations. Number one, loving our enemies shows others that God is our Father. Verse 43 begins as the previous antithesis. You have heard that it was said, and he is citing here those of old, the scribes and the teachers of the law that had developed the tradition of Israel's religion. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and you shall hate your enemy. Now, this is a partial citation of Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, where the Bible says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Interestingly, the phrase as yourself is omitted. And our colleague Chuck Quarles, I think, makes a very insightful observation when he says this subtle revision transformed a command about how God's people are to love into a command on whom they are to love. And so you are to love your neighbor. But then scribes and the teachers of the law added an addendum to that command, drawing what they felt was the natural corollary. Well, on the one hand, yes, you should love your neighbor, but on the other hand, you should hate your enemy. You will search the Old Testament in vain to find words anywhere approximating those words that you read right there. The scribes had made an interpretive decision and as a result, they drew a faulty conclusion. To love your neighbor must have the natural corollary of hating your enemy. What could be more logical? Charles Spurgeon is right when he says in this case, a command of scripture had a human antithesis fitted on it by depraved minds. And this human addition was mischievous. This is a sad crime, and it is a sad crime anytime we add to God's word. This is a sad crime against the word of God. And so what did our Lord do to counter their faulty understanding of this classic passage of scripture? He says, well, I wanna tell you two things that you're to do with your enemies. Number one, you are to love them. And number two, you are to pray for them. I say to you, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Both the word love and the word pray are imperatives. They're words of command. 
They're also in the present tense, which speaks of a continuous, ongoing action. In other words, he's not telling us you can love your enemy periodically. Uh, you can love your enemy once in a while. No, 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 no. You're to love your enemy consistently. Uh, you're to love your enemy constantly. And in fact, not only are you to love them, you are to pray for them. In essence, Jesus transforms our enemies into neighbors. And he says, in the same way that you would naturally love and pray for your neighbor, you need supernaturally to love and pray for your enemies. Loving our enemies shows others that God is indeed our Father, number two. Loving others without discrimination is to act like God our Father. In verse 45, Jesus helps us understand that God indeed extends his common grace and love to all of his creation. He says there in verse 45, you love your enemies, you pray for those who persecute you so that you may indeed be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and in parallel fashion. He also sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now let's be very clear here. Loving your enemies does not make you a child of God. Loving your enemies and praying for your enemies gives evidence that you are a child of God. John Piper, I think, puts it very, very well. Now, someone might take so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven to mean that you must first become a person who loves his enemies before you can be a child of God. But it may also mean this, love your enemies and so prove yourself to be what you are, a child of God. That is, show you are a child of God by acting the way your father acts. If you are his, then his character is in you and you will be inclined to do what he does. God loves his enemies, the evil and the unrighteous, and he does so in sending rain and sunshine on them instead of instant judgment. And so God's act of common grace through his revelation, his natural revelation of sunshine and rain. It's not that God goes down the street and says, safe person, rain, safe person, rain, unsafe person, no rain. No, it doesn't work like that nor does he cause his son to rise only for those that love him and care for him. Every day he raises his son on those who hate him and who despise him. And so we give evidence that indeed God is our father because we act toward our enemies in exactly the same way he has acted toward us. Sinclair Ferguson again helps us here when he says, and I quote, can we really love those who have been hostile to us? Not as long as we live by the principles of the kingdoms of this world, which at best encourages us to ignore our enemies and at worst to retaliate against them. Only the kingdom of God can provide sufficiently strong motives to help us love our enemies. Your father shows love to his enemies every day in giving them the sun and the rain to the righteous and the ungodly alike. 
He has every right to retaliate against sinners for the dishonor they have done to his creation. Instead, he shows mercy and patience. We are to do the same like father, like son. Loving others without discrimination is to act like God, our father. Number three, loving others without discrimination sets us apart from those who do not know God as Father. In verses 46 and verses 47, our Lord uses very simple illustrations that would have immediately caught the attention of his audience. He uses on the one hand the example of a tax collector, and then he uses on the other hand the example of a Gentile pagan. And he basically says this, if you love those that are like you, you're no different than the despised tax collectors that you hate, and you're nothing uh, more than a lost Gentile because they even love people they like, they even love people like them. And so very simply, he says in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the despised, I'm adding commentary here, the despised tax collectors do the same. And again, anyone that's familiar with the Bible, I don't need to belabor this, knows what great hatred the common Jewish people had for these traitors to Rome that fleeced the people and took advantage of their own. But then he goes further and says, and if you greet, you give a, I hope you're having a great day kind of greeting to your brothers, what more are you doing than others? My goodness, even the Gentiles, even those who are pagans do the same. Now, again, if the religious leaders were present when Jesus was saying these things, and I'm quite certain they were, I'm sure they went apoplectic. Uh, their blood pressure went off the scale. Their uh, internal temperature rose very quickly. How dare you compare us to tax collectors who have betrayed their own people? How dare you compare us to pagan Gentiles who have no part of our great heritage and the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, I do so because you're just like them. You're just like them. And folks, when we only care for those that are like us, we're just simply acting like the world. We're not acting like God, and we're certainly not acting like his son in the way that he has loved us with such sacrifice and loved us even when we were hostile and enemies and exhibited hatred toward him. And so the Bible says loving others without discrimination sets us apart from those who don't know God as father. And then finally, loving our enemies conforms us to the likeness of God our Father. You know, many times in the Bible, we are told that God is something. For example, God is holy, Leviticus eleven forty four. God is a spirit, John four twenty four. God is a consuming fire, Deuteronomy four twenty four, Hebrews twelve twenty nine. God is love, First John four eight and sixteen. God is true, First John five twenty. Well, Jesus adds another God is statement here in verse forty eight, and he does so in the context of challenging you and me to be like him. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, some people read that statement and they say, well, that's too high a standard. And so they water the statement down and they say, well, it really means something like this. You need to be mature, even as your heavenly father is mature. That doesn't work. No, actually the command is intended to shock us once more and it's intended to raise the bar so high that we know we could never reach it in our own strength and our own power and we're driven to our knees in humility and repentance seeking a power from God that we do not have within ourselves. No, we're on the way to being perfect 
And so in this day and age, as we exhibit the character of our God, we should be striving to be perfect as well. Again, I agree with Dr. Quarles who says, love for others, including one's enemies, is the essence of divine perfection and the key to true righteousness. And so I think contextually, when he says, I want you to be perfect, the context leads us to mean you be perfect in loving your enemies in the same way that your heavenly father is perfect in loving his enemies. And I don't think he would restrict it to only that particular application, but it is certainly the near application In the context, I think the greater application, of course, would include the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount and the entirety of Scripture. And again, what he is saying is this, you are headed for future glorification. Who and what you will be someday in eternity should impact how we love and conduct ourselves today. In other words, very simply stated, we are to be what we are are becoming. So in a very short couple of minutes, I want to be practical because here's what I've come to understand in 40 years of ministry. Sometimes our enemies are out there, but sometimes our enemies are in here. Sometimes our enemies are outside the church, but sometimes our enemies may be located inside the church. We all should I think be aware of the fact that not everyone whose name is on a church roll genuinely knows Christ as Savior. Not everyone that even attends church on Sunday morning or if you have them Sunday night or Wednesday night. I've met people throughout my life. In fact, some of the meanest, most ungodly people I've ever met in my life came to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. They never missed a business conference. In fact, I think they longed and lived for those particular nights where they could put on and put in marvelous display their carnality and in many cases, their unregenerate behavior. So you're saying, Danny, that sometimes an enemy can even be inside the church. Yes, I'm saying that sometimes an enemy can even be inside the church. So what is it that you and I need to do when we find ourselves in those kinds of situations? Again, I commend to you the book by Andy Davis that just came out called Revitalize. And in one of the chapters where he talks about dealing with our enemies, he gives us 10 very simple directives in terms of practical counsel about how we deal with those that oppose us. I share those with you as I close. Just listen very carefully. Number one, make it a point to obey Jesus's command to pray for those who oppose and insult you. In fact, make sure that you pray for them by name. I discovered in my own life, it's hard to hate people that I pray for. Secondly, bring all criticism against you back to God in prayer. Where you are convicted that you have wronged someone, be humble enough to go back to that person and ask for their forgiveness. Number three, practice good listening skills with people who disagree with you. They may have something to say that you actually need to hear. Number four, ask the Lord in prayer to give you a discerning heart so that you will know when to fight like a lion and when to be humble and yielding. Number five, 
Get prepared for potentially contentious meetings, especially before the whole whole church, like a church business conference. Do so by praying in great detail about what you're about to face, putting on the spiritual armor Paul lists in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, and by reading many scripture verses on humility. See a common theme that Andy is developing here, that one of the keys to being able to love well those that oppose you is being humble, not haughty, being humble, not prideful. Number six, and this is one that we ought to all listen to very carefully, be especially wary of gossip and slander when you're gathered with passionate supporters of your efforts. I want to read that again. Be especially wary of gossip and slander when gathered with passionate supporters of your efforts. Understand how sinful it is to act as though you could never commit the same sin as others. Number seven, ponder the example of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Jesus' parable of humble prayer in Luke 18. Number eight, and there's such wisdom in this statement, Understand that some opponents really are children of the devil, and they will never be reconciled to biblical doctrine. But also know that some of the bitterest enemies right now could become your staunch allies down the road. Number nine, be very wary of lawsuits. Read Paul's prohibition passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and do not submit to the wisdom of the world, but submit to the wisdom of God. Finally, as you proceed in the Christian life, be more and more zealous for the glory of Christ than for your own good reputation. I love these verses for, I think, a very simple reason. They remind me so much about Jesus. And they remind me so much about Jesus at the Passion when when on the cross, he looked at those that were crucifying him, mocking him, and he said, what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Love your enemies. It really is the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these verses that I find very convicting because I acknowledge before my brothers and sisters this morning, there have been times when I hated my enemies. I didn't love them. I even took perverse delight in tragedies and in difficulties that came their way. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me for that because that is the way of Satan. That is not the way of the Savior. And Lord, I would pray that you would enable me to be like Jesus and to be like my heavenly Father, who indeed loves those who hate him and cares for those who oppose him. And Lord, we need to recognize as those passionate for your gospel and passionate for your great commission, there are going to be times when we are opposed. There are going to be times when we are persecuted. There are going to be people that indeed consider us their enemies. So, Lord, when we find ourselves in those kinds of situations, help us to recall these verses. Help us to remember that to love our enemies is to be like Jesus and our Heavenly Father. 
And Lord, when those occasions come, help us, Lord, to love them and to love them constantly and consistently. And Lord, help us to pray for them the same as our Savior did for us when we nailed him to a cross. This we ask and pray in his strong and saving name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.